Merit Homecoming. It's going to be a tough time, but I'm ready to be home and to start helping people. Some residents able to return, knowing their community will never be the same. Slow draining on the Sumas Prairie. This is just surreal. It's something I, I, I never thought I'd, I'd see. The return to flooded fields and social media leads to a small victory for a pet left behind. And a shaky line of protection. There are many that are substandard and we know that they fail um, when they're not maintained. The questionable dikes holding the water back and warning signs that were ignored. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start tonight with the evacuation order lifted for parts of Merritt, allowing about a third of the town's residents to return home. But as Kylie Stanton reports, what they're coming home to is a community facing huge challenges and a lengthy timeline to recover and rebuild. The barricades are down, allowing residents to pass. What does it feel like? Good, exciting, happy, but also mixed emotions because I know that our community isn't the same. More than one week after mass flooding forced the evacuation of the entire city of Merritt, roughly one quarter of the population has been given the all clear to return. But they've been warned. What you are coming home to is a city that's changed. At this point, the water is not safe to drink and must be boiled. Sewage can't be processed and is being discharged into the river for the time being. The city will be preserving water supply for the fire service and there is no hospital. Limited hours are only expected to resume on Friday. It's pretty nasty. That's concerning for Lorne, who requires his dressing to be changed every two days. It's a diabetic amputation. For now, he and his mother plan on commuting. So it's open in Kamloops, so we're going to go back for that. But in the grand scheme of things, those walking through the doors of their homes are the lucky ones. In the hardest hit areas, it's a different story. We know that there are roads that need to be reconstructed. There are sewer pipelines that need to be reconstructed. There's a bridge that fell into the river that needs to be reconstructed. And residents still evacuated are being asked to be patient. The roughly 2,800 who live in Phase 2, shown here in purple, are expected to hear Thursday when they can return. As for the remaining 3,500-plus people who live in Phase 3 in pink, well, that's going to be more complicated. There are issues around the connectivity of the pipes and making sure that we can provide them with viable uh, water distribution and sewage networks. So uh, that the Phase 3 area will be treated on a block-by-block -block basis as we can get those critical infrastructure systems back online. For those who are now unpacking, it's never felt so good. But given the circumstances, home sweet home, in reality, is bittersweet. Oh, it's very heartbreaking, like very. I'm ready to help wherever I can. Kylie Stanton, Global News. The cleanup has begun in the small community of Tulamine, northeast of Hope, where some residents were stranded for several days after the initial floods. Some residents were forced to abandon their vehicles and swim to dry land when their flooding hit. To make matters worse, the floods were followed by snowfall. As they clean up, locals are forced to deliver the bad news to people who own cabins but live elsewhere. Everything's pretty much garbage, as you can tell. Everything's all wet. Anything that's pretty much below this counter height here was full of water. It's still full of water. 
it's got a restricted use. Many of the cabin owners don't have insurance. The locals say they've seen flooding before, but never like this. Well, while the water level on Sumas Prairie is slowly dropping, many homes and farms are still underwater. And as the days go by, the damage they're sustaining keeps on growing. Now, facing the loss of crops, livestock and equipment, some farmers are wondering how the recovery process will even begin. Our Ramina Dea joins us live. Ramina, you spent the day touring flooded farms by boat. How bad is it? Sophie, the perspective from the water is truly sobering. It's just sheer devastation. You know, where do you even begin when everything you have worked for is gone? It's hard to see the edge of recovery from this vantage point. This is just surreal. It's something I, I, I never thought I'd, I'd see. It's tragic. The flood not over. Darren spends his days helping residents and farmers return home to grab what's left. It's going to take a while for sure. It's, it's unbelievable, the amount of damage. We're currently on the Interprovincial Highway, which is a lake. You can see the vehicles back there, submerged, houses also underwater. People's livelihoods are gone. A lot of losses, I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, Blueberry farmer Jiwan Mangat in tears after seeing his crop and 1.5 million in machinery submerged. I love farming, right? Because now it's everything under water. That's why. <laughs> yeah, it's your life. Yeah. I'm very sorry. That's okay. While there have been heroic stories of livestock being saved, there have been epic losses. Poultry producers now fighting to rebuild after losing tens of thousands of birds to flooding. Those that where the water was really high uh, may have to actually strip their barns down. That could take uh, weeks and months for them to get um, up back and replaced. The price tag to fix broken farms and broken lives unknown. It's going to be an enormous rebuild and we need the federal government to walk with us as a provincial government till we get these people on their feet. If the government is not going to do uh, the right thing for these floods, then hopefully we're going to move out of this place. We don't want to happen this again, right? We don't want to go through this. Now, the agriculture minister, Lana Popham, who you heard there in the story, she was on the ground today in Sumas Prairie meeting face-to-face -face with farmers. She said that she wants to ensure, to, re to reassure them, basically, that the province is working with the federal government. They're going to make sure that disaster relief funding is going to be available quickly. Back to you. Let's hope it is. Rumina Dea reporting in Abbotsford. And on that topic, flood evacuees forced from their homes by the catastrophic flooding got some good news from the province today. Some financial relief to help with urgent essentials is coming. Keith Baldry joins us now with the details. And Keith, what can you tell us? 
Yeah, this is not a long-term fix, but it is a short-term breath of fresh air for many thousands of people who have been evacuated from their homes. Today, uh, B.C. government announcing, in partnership with the Canadian Red Cross, a new program, brand new, $2,000 grant per household, not individual, but per household, who have been evacuated from their primary residence. This is separate from other uh, funding uh, programs, such as emergency support services funding and others. Also, a a toll-free 1-800 number you can phone for between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m., 1-800. 863-6582. You can also go online. There's an online option. You can search for it. It's fairly easy to find. Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth making the announcement this afternoon. It's funded by the Red Cross with, with funds um, 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 put in place as well by the, uh, by the province. Uh, so that's how it's done. It's similar to the situation that we had during the, uh, the fires. And so it would be uh, uh, people uh, who, who have been evacuated, uh, just like during the fire season, and the, uh, the eligibility requirements and, and how to do it will be accessed, uh, can be accessed uh, by the uh, online website. All right, 2000 bucks is going to be helpful, no doubt about it, but many are dealing mm-hmm. with even greater losses, 10 times, 100 times mm-hmm. more than that. What's available to help them in that regard? Yeah, there are a number of programs available. We'll hear more about them in the weeks ahead. But one that's been on the books for a long time is one uh, in Ramina's story. You heard Agriculture Minister Ilana Popham talk about a, a program with the federal government. This is a disaster financial assistance program. It's pretty big. 80% of the amount of total eligible damage is what you can apply for. You pay for the first $1,000, but you can apply for claims up to $300,000. And a lot of people are eligible for this. Homeowners, tenants, small business owners, and farm owners are all eligible for this. I'm told a number of people already have their claims in, but emergency preparedness is already going through the inventory here. It's going to take a long time to total up exactly what is covered under this program. We know it's a big number, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Keith, thanks very much. Well, the costs for recovery, repairs, rebuilding on Sumas Prairie are expected to take years and run into the hundreds of millions, at least. But when the dike failed last week, it wasn't really a surprise. No, over the past decades, a number of reports warned it could happen unless major upgrades were completed. But as Ted Chernecki reports, those calls have been largely ignored. Flooding in the Fraser Valley is nothing new. The Great Flood of 1948 prompted governments to hurriedly build a network of dikes that may not have been that well thought through. Today, there is about 600 kilometers of dikes throughout the Lower Mainland. Many are maintained by all sorts of interest groups, if they're maintained at all. Almost none of them were ever designed with climate change and atmospheric rivers in mind. Myself and my colleagues for the last, I mean, 20, 30 years, we've been presenting this information, providing um, updates on you know, what we think it would cost uh, if there was a large flood. For the most part, that falls on deaf, deaf ears until there's actually an event. In May this year, Ebwater Consulting released its Flood Risk Governance Report, detailing what's not working and what could be done better to minimize flood risk. Among a litany of issues, the report says even today, flood risk management is reactive, not proactive. Initiatives that are proposed get derailed by governments with more visible priorities. There are often no operational targets for risk reduction, ad hoc funding, and some community risk is extremely high, like First Nations, because of past decisions. There's a line at the end of that report that says flood risk governance in BC is broken, and I stand by that. There, We could be doing this a lot better. Flood mitigation is extremely complex, and it's time to put self-interests aside, say experts. I believe it's manageable, uh, but I believe it's a, it's a royal we. We're all in this together. Having a regional approach was relatively new, but people are now buying into it, 
and recognize that's the only way forward. With all those reports after each flooding event, you'd think more would have been done by now, if not for any other reason than cost. Disaster analysts have a formula that the return on investment from being proactive is roughly 8 to 15 to 1. So that billion dollars you didn't spend 20 years ago will now cost you 8 to 15 billion dollars. In retrospect, it seems so stupid that we didn't spend the money. So I think now we need to take that on board and spend the money now well so that we're not in this place five years from now. And with the cost of borrowing so low, if not now, then when? Ted Chernecki, Global News. The man still missing after a landslide on the Duffy Lake Road has been identified by family as Brett Diedrichs. He's a 36-year-old man from Peachland. The family was relocating to Vancouver Island when tragedy struck outside of Pemberton. According to a relative, he was caught up in the slide along with his partner and his mother. Both of them survived, but Diedrichs was swept away. His body has yet to be recovered. A GoFundMe has been set up now to help with expenses. There were four others killed in that slide, including two men and a couple from Metro Vancouver who left behind a two-year-old girl. Well, it looks like Mother Nature has no intention of letting up on southwestern B.C. Environment Canada is issuing another special weather statement warning of more heavy rain ahead. Aaron MacArthur has the reaction from the people still struggling with last week's destructive deluge. Crews working flat out, taking advantage of the weather, cleaning up before the rain arrives again. The forecast calling for another atmospheric river to hit Wednesday night and last into Friday morning. We're talking about 40 to 70 millimeters in the Fraser Valley, uh, potentially upwards of 100 millimeters in the North Shore Mountains. And that's just round one. After a small break, another atmospheric river washes ashore Saturday afternoon. We are dealing with uh, very active weather um, for the foreseeable future. Alone, these storms aren't unusual for November. But that volume of rain on top of saturated soil and flooded farmland may pose a challenge. Critics have accused the provincial government of failing to properly warn the public about last week's storm. The public safety minister promising to be ready this time. The next nine or ten days could be quite challenging. In Abbotsford, the dikes have been plugged. The floodgates are open. Officials hoping it's enough. We are using projections to anticipate water levels and how they will intersect with the status of our dikes. The long-term forecast calling for wetter conditions to persist. This fall, possibly one for the record books. When you have a parade of storms or an incredible uh, fall, as we've seen since middle of September, uh, upwards of 200% of normal uh, rain for much of the south coast. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. All right, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more on this parade of storms heading our way. And Christy, what do we need to know? What we need to know is that over the next seven days, Sophie, we have three atmospheric rivers on deck and there will be very little break in between each one. Now, the first one will not be as intense as the one that we saw that devastated the region. We're expecting less rain and it will move across the region uh, at a quicker pace. So that's good news. We're expecting 40 to 80 millimeters for the south coast area, Metro Vancouver and Fraser Valley. This is from Wednesday night right through Friday morning. But it's the fact that we have two more systems on deck right 
right after, also bringing heavy rain and fluctuating freezing levels. Each one of these uh, atmospheric rivers will rise the freezing level up to 2,500 meters. Right now, we have 25 plus centimeters of fresh snow in the mountains, especially near the Coquihalla. So all of that melt, as well as the rain causing some problems and fluctuating freezing levels. So freeze-thaw scenario on terrain that is a little unstable can also be problematic. When I come back, we'll have a look at further uh, warnings that are in place for the south coast, and we'll have a look at the timeline of of those other two storms. The weather details never so important. All right, thanks for that, Christy. Isn't that true? All right, uh, look, it's obvious there's lots of confusion surrounding the new rules allowing British Columbians to cross the border to get essentials like gas and food. A breakdown in communication with Canadian border guards resulted in some being some people crossing the border being fined. Now, as Amadagahi reports, there is a move to see those tickets waived. It seemed like a simple concept. Border service officers will be, be alert to the issue of, of allowing people to travel into the United States. And sounded like common sense. And to be able to come across uh, back into Canada without that uh, PCR test. But for many, like Gordon Streifel, it was anything but. It was an ordeal and a lot of stress and a lot of cost. And, uh, you know, we took the government at their word. On Sunday, both provincial and federal ministers assured British Columbians affected by the current fuel restrictions. They could fill up and get groceries south of the border without any COVID-19 testing. And it seems like that message, although quite public, was internally miscommunicated. It shows the lack of coordination between not only the the two governments, the U.S. and Canada, but even within Canada between the provincial and the federal government. So we now know that people coming back into Canada after going down south to maybe fill up their gas tank or pick up some groceries were given two options by border agents. One, take a $5,700 fine home with them, or two, turn around and come back with a negative PCR test. Streifel decided to take the latter option. We went to three different testing stations. They were all full of Canadians with the same stories that we had. While dozens of Canadians took the fine. It's regrettable that it transpired in that way during that transition period. But as soon as it came to our attention that this was occurring, we took immediate remedial uh, uh, action. Now, those with fines in hand appear to be able to dispute and find a resolution. But those that did the right thing and got back home with a last-minute test they were told they did not need before traveling are now out hundreds of dollars. My wife and I live on um, on our pensions, so 500 bucks is a kick in the pants. It was an expensive tank of gas. And a very long day. Emadagahi, Global News. It's considered a major step in protecting all of us from COVID-19. Vaccinating 5 to 11-year-olds will begin on Monday. What you need to know to make sure your child gets the shot next on the News Hour. A new take on this classic video game. Why NASA and Musk are going to intentionally crash a spacecraft into an asteroid. And delayed deliveries with even mail service disrupted due to flooding and landslides. What you need to know if you're expecting something special later. Right now, though, let's get a look at the COVID-19 numbers over the past 24 hours. We have 324 new cases and 3,047 active cases. 
345 people are in hospital, 115 of those patients are in the ICU. And we have had one more death from complications of the virus. Also, 87.4% of eligible British Columbians are now fully vaccinated. And that group of eligible British Columbians is about to get a lot bigger. That's right. Starting Monday, about 350,000 children aged 5 to 11 in B.C. will be able to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. Richard Zussman has details of the rollout. 5 to 11-year-olds, right now the largest part of B.C.'s population currently not vaccinated against COVID-19. That is about to change. Rest assured, early Monday, there will be uh, children being vaccinated. In order for that to happen, vaccine will start arriving Wednesday. Starting Sunday, parents who have registered their kids for the vaccine will start receiving invitations to book. There are more than 92,000 kids now registered and the bookings will be done in order of when someone was registered. We hope to focus a very significant effort on children over the, the coming you know, two months and we feel we can probably complete those who are wanting to get vaccinated by the end of January. Kids will be vaccinated at health units and community clinics, many already set up to provide COVID shots. But for this phase of the campaign, the province still has a few details that need sorting. It just gives us time, as I said, to get organized, to make sure that people, immunizers are comfortable with the new product, that we have the right streams in place to make sure that uh, we have the, the clinics set up for the pediatric vaccine formulation. The province is estimating around 65% of parents are ready to get their kids vaccinated. Another 20% are willing, but need more information before making the decision. We have websites we will help people access. We've got a call centre. We will be running some advertising. There will be many components. The province presenting some data showing vaccines work for kids. For unvaccinated 12 to 17-year-olds, 37 per 100,000 of the B.C. population have been hospitalized due to the virus. For the vaccinated, zero 12 to 17-year-olds have been to hospital in B.C. with COVID. And really that speaks to how effective these vaccines are. Parents and guardians will be required to provide consent when getting their 5 to 11-year-olds vaccinated. And if a non-guardian is bringing them to the clinic, those guardians must provide written consent. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Coming up, collateral damage in the battle against COVID-19. We're totally event-based, so it was very decimating to the business. How the pandemic is pushing a lot of our retail favorites out of business. Also ahead, a flood survivor who definitely used up one of its nine lives. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge, with just some minor congestion still eastbound on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. BC's flood-related road closures are causing delays for a lot of services, including mail. Canada Post has suspended delivery entirely in some parts of the province. Consumer Matters reporter Andrea is here with more on what that means if you are expecting important paperwork. And Thanks, Sophie. Canada Post says it's putting contingency plans in place to move mail and parcels into and out of BC and to restore or maintain postal services. While mail delivery is continuing wherever possible, customers may experience delays 
delays in receiving items destined for or sent out of province. Merritt has been under a red delivery service alert since the city was evacuated on November 15th. That means no mail or parcels until it's safe to resume delivery. A yellow service alert is in effect for the four western provinces, including B.C., which means delivery will be attempted, but there may be delays. Service is suspended in parts of Abbotsford and nearby Yarrow and Colchena on Nicola Lake. Now, Canada Post is offering free mail forwarding for up to 12 months to some residents and businesses displaced by flooding. Customers with postal codes for Yarrow and Quilchena, or those starting with V1K for Merritt or V2T for Abbotsford, can request the free service until Monday, December 20th, either online or at a post office. As far as the major couriers go, Purolator has temporarily suspended its on-time delivery guarantees for all express courier shipments to and from BC. Its ground shipments and freight service into and out of BC are also temporarily halted. Meantime, FedEx is using its domestic air fleet to bypass many areas with road closures and serving parts of the interior through its Calgary hub, which could cause delays. Continued delays are expected in Chilliwack and Abbotsford. And UPS says it's doing everything it can to move shipments safely and as quickly as possible, but delays to and from the lower mainland can be expected. Now, we asked Canada Post if customers living in areas not impacted by flooding will see delays, but we did not receive a response. All halted mail is being stored in secure locations. Canada Post says anyone sending time-sensitive items to or from Western Canada should consider using Express Post or Priority Service to help ensure timely delivery. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Patience is required. Thank you, Anne. No doubt. The pandemic has forever changed our province's retail landscape, with many favorite family-owned and independent businesses forced to shut down. In part two of our series on the casualties of COVID, Kristen Robinson has a look at the local stores lost. After closing her two beloved gift shops last year, Christina Edged couldn't stand to look at her empty East Van storefront. Lala's was really a part of me. Edged founded Lala's in 1996. The concept, amped up fun and casual socialization inside a brick and mortar store, was a success until COVID. That model I knew was going to be disrupted for at least three years, if not more. Instead of celebrating almost 25 years in business, Edged moved as much stock as she could before shuttering her deep cove and commercial drive locations. I was terribly heart-stricken. We're the casualty of this. The pandemic, the final push for Patty's Party Palace. After nearly 23 years of selling costumes year-round, its superwoman owner couldn't save the popular Nanaimo store. We're totally event-based, so... It was very decimating to the business to lose all of, our, all of our events. Websites like Amazon were siphoning sales when COVID drove even more shoppers online and put celebrations on hold. As a small independent, you can't compete. The downtown Vancouver BIA says at least 84 street-level businesses have closed since early 2020. 45% independent. Have to lay everybody off. It's heartbreaking. It's a really, really hard thing to do. In October, Brendan Ladner was forced to shut down his trio of quick service restaurants. 
Like it's everything we've built and we, we worked so hard and did so much. Ladner opened the first smack in 2013. His healthy take on fast food served locally sourced products in compostable packaging and quickly became a fan favorite. Two more locations followed. It took a pandemic to take us down. You, you know, you're doing growth and then the pandemic comes. He was optimistic until this past September's sales were slower than 2020. The people aren't coming back to work in offices, and they might not for a very long time. When you take all the customers away, you're kind of left with a business model that doesn't really work anymore. With more losses expected, Edged says supporting local is now more important than ever. This is going to be a pivotal season for those that have been struggling over the last 18 months. Please show them some love. Kristen Robinson, Global News. And it's not just the independent struggling either. Big retail is not immune to the financial pressures of the pandemic. And that story is coming up tomorrow in part three of the casualties of COVID. Up next, Vancouver's mayor on the state of the city. From homelessness to housing to crime and chaos, what Kennedy Stewart thinks are the big challenges ahead. And later, more evidence mushrooms can be magic for people suffering depression. Watch the Global News and 980 CKNW Leadership Series every Saturday and Sunday in partnership with Fortis BC. That's energy at work. Traffic is steady once again in both directions here at the Massey Tunnel after clearing an earlier problem near Highway 17A on the Delta side. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $22 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart has delivered his last State of the City address before next year's municipal elections. As Grace Key reports, while he admits there is still much work to do with crime and homelessness, his critics say he hasn't done nearly enough up to now. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart gave his State of the City address before the Greater Vancouver Board of Trade. He talked about some of his accomplishments during the last three years. Today... I'm proud to announce that we're on pace to approve nearly 100,000 homes over a 10-year period. That far and exceeds our targets. Moving to walkable, transit-oriented communities is big move number one in our climate emergency action plan. But one of the questions that came up was crime and the state of public safety in Vancouver. This after many downtown merchants have been voicing concerns about a rise in crime. The operations of the police, we have to make sure they're well-funded. I think they are well-funded. Uh, but that will be, again, another thing that we talk about through the, the debate. We're, we're waiting for the police board's uh, submission to us as to what they think they require uh, this year. And so that will be rolled into the budget debates. The owner of Marquee Wine Cellars on Davie Street has had his window smashed out several times. He sees crime going up in his neighbourhood and says the police need more support. The city seems to have a... Uh penchant to defund the police. He's a, he's a, seems to be at war with them and he needs to support them because these are the people. His fundamental responsibility, number one over anything, is to keep the citizens safe. Climate change, yeah, it's important. I get that. But if no one's living here and no one's safe, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. 
Vancouver City Councillors also saying crime is one of the top concerns they're hearing from residents. I'd like to see the mayor actually address our concerns and show up to address these issues. Um, we've recently had a number of briefings with VPD. The mayor wasn't present for those meetings around the budget and around the issues that are facing the city. And I'd like to see him involved in that. This is the mayor's final State of the City address before next fall's municipal elections. Grace Key, Global News. Richmond RCMP say in the last 10 days, they have received five reports of a romance cryptocurrency scam making the rounds in the area. Victims are often approached through online dating sites and social media. The scammers convince the victim to send them money or manipulate them into investing in a fraudulent crypto website, sometimes taking control of their computers. Fraudsters often research their potential victims to come up with a personalized strategy. Police say there have been 73 similar files investigated in Richmond this year and they're urging any more victims to come forward. In Health Matters tonight, a new study by researchers at UBC Okanagan finds more evidence that microdosing psychedelics is an effective treatment for anxiety and depression. The study was published in the journal Nature and followed more than 8,500 people from 75 countries about half of whom were self-administering psychedelics, primarily psilocybin mushrooms, in small quantities. The researchers found a clear association between microdosing and fewer symptoms of depression, anxiety, and stress. Last year, Canada became one of few countries to allow consumption of psychedelic mushrooms by people who have mental illness. Still ahead, NASA and SpaceX team up for a real long shot. Pretty cool mission. Very excited to be a part of it. The bullseye they're aiming for and why the target practice could one day save the planet. And in sports, how floods and washouts have changed the game for young hockey players in B.C. Here's the Wines of British Columbia question of the day. Of the nine wine regions in B.C., only two regions typically experience optimal temperatures for producing ice wine. What are they? A. Fraser Valley and Kootenays. B. Shushwap and Lillooet. C. Okanagan Valley and Simokamine Valley. Stay tuned after the break for the answer. The answer for the Wines of British Columbia question of the day is C. The Okanagan Valley and Simokamine Valley are the only two regions with winters cold enough for producing ice wine. We were right. We were right. We guess at that. Yeah, we, we know our wine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, you know who knows weather? Well, she knows wine, and wine too, too, let's be honest. <laughs> Christy joins us now with the look ahead. Special weather statements. All kinds of things going on for you these days, Christy. That's right. So it, thankfully, these atmospheric river at this point not looking as strong, but it's the fact that we've got three on deck in the next seven days. So that's the biggest concern. Very little relief expected for the region. Here's a look at the warnings currently for the first atmospheric river that will push in later tomorrow. So majority of the moisture across the north and west parts of Vancouver Island up to 150 millimeters. Just to give you perspective, we saw an excess of 200 millimeters in areas like Hope closer to 300 millimeters. And for Metro Vancouver, you can see that 40 to 80. 
Sandy. So this is a shorter lived, less intense storm indeed, but it will also bring windy conditions. There's that storm there starting to brew right now. All right. So we've had fresh snow on the mountains. That's a big concern because the freezing levels are going to climb. The target tomorrow will be the central coast. We are going to see the rain pick up in the afternoon hours for our region, but the heaviest rain will happen overnight Wednesday throughout our Thursday. You can see that hose targeting the south coast. Then we'll see a little bit of a break on Friday as it shifts out of the region. The next hose for our region will be on Saturday, and that's going to bring in some rain even into our Sunday. And then the next one on deck, it will likely move in late Monday into our Tuesday. So there's the three on deck, three hoses for the south coast. So in the meantime, there's your Wednesday snow for inland regions. Not a lot going on in these areas here tomorrow. And for Metro Vancouver, we'll start off dry. A few showers will develop in the afternoon. Tomorrow, not too bad. It's later in the day tomorrow for Metro Vancouver and Lower Mainland, especially overnight Wednesday into our Thursday, that we're going to see the heaviest rain from this first system. Here's tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from the Castlegar area. David sent us this. He and his wife are driving along Highway 3, and they said that uh, the scene this evening was absolutely gorgeous, and these are beautiful clouds. Thanks so much, David, and Rosemary for that. So nice to see some blue sky and brightness. Thank you, Christy. No doubt. Well, some remarkable stories are emerging from the flooding devastation of strangers helping strangers. Yeah, she's a sweetie. Yeah. A volunteer group is helping people rescue livestock and pets stuck in the floodwaters. They're combing message boards and social media for call-outs. And last night, a request came in through Facebook from a young woman to save her kitten. The cat had been trapped in high water since last Saturday. She was pretty happy to see us. <laughs> the alarm went off and uh, we went in there and um, yeah, just gave her some food and some water. And she's a very, very happy cat. It just makes you feel good. It's a heartwarming story where you, you're able to save you know, some animals. And... Likes a little face scratch <laughs> and everything. Very cute. Uh, okay, Squire's here with a look ahead to sports. Wait, you're talking about Squire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I appreciate the cute comment, but I really could do without the face. <laughs> You'll scratch your own face. I'll, I'll, that's right. I'll scratch my own face. Thanks. Uh, with a five-game road trip starting tomorrow, I think I think Travis is getting a little tired of hearing that his top players are suffering with lack of confidence issues. When things aren't going well, you face it and look it in the mirror and, and dig in. He says hard work will get back the confidence. I also think less goalposts would help as well. Probably true. Also ahead, bringing a beloved 80s arcade game to life. Why NASA is aiming for an asteroid called Dimorphos. Okay, Squire's ready to go with sports and the Canucks watch continues. Well, they are in Pittsburgh. Have you been to Pittsburgh? It's actually nicer than you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, start of a five-game road trip. They play the Penguins tomorrow night, and of course the last time the Canucks went on the road, they forgot to pack their A game. Uh, they started this one with a bunch of their main guys in simultaneous scoring droughts. So the good news is at least they do things as a team. If one doesn't score, they all don't score. Uh, tomorrow they might be facing a red-hot goalie in Surrey's Tristan Jarry, who just led the Penguins to a 3 or make that two, three straight wins on the road. If he does start tomorrow's game, Tristan Jerry, he'll go in with 80 stops in his last 81 shots. He uh, held Winnipeg the one goal last night. He also shut out Toronto and Montreal on this three-game winning streak. Well, it is to the point where there is no more sugarcoating it. 
It's one of the oldest cliches in the book. Your best players have to be your best players. Travis Green's job pretty much depends on it. Our, our whole focus right now is individually, we need to play our best. If we get individuals to play their best, uh, collectively, we're going to be a lot better as a group. And uh, we lost one nothing, but that's not good enough. We've got to find ways to win hockey games. He was referring, of course, to Sunday's game against Chicago. Okay, the uh, BC Hockey League learned during COVID how to do scheduling acrobatics. So they've applied some of those lessons to rescheduling games around the flooding and finding places for their teams to play. Still beside the Nanaimo goal. Move the British Columbia Hockey League is doing its best to keep all 18 of its franchises on the ice and playing hockey games. So far, 18 games have been postponed or rescheduled due to the province-wide flooding, which has also forced the league to revamp who plays who and where. We, we have our, our coast and an interior division, and we've uh, regionalized the play as much as we can, and teams are going to play uh, within their proximity more often. To the line, it stays in. Good job by Monroe. Now moves in, shoots, he scores! 17 of the BCHL's 18 teams are based within BC on the island, lower mainland, Fraser Valley, Okanagan, Kootenai, and Caribou regions all linked together by bus. As it currently stands, the Chilliwack and Merritt franchises are the hardest hit by the flooding that's occurred. Well, obviously Chilliwack and Merritt are our biggest concerns and Chilliwack was kind of blockaded in for a while, but they do have access now to play some games outside of their home rink. For Merritt, it's all road games. And uh, we're, we asked the team, look, do you guys want to play? Uh, kids at this age, they want to play and we're figuring it out and uh, it may end up with a season where you don't have everybody having the exact number of games but we decided long ago to go on winning percentage as opposed to wins and losses and so we've we've already crossed that bridge. With roads and communities still underwater and additional flood warnings issued late Tuesday, the BCHL is likely going to have to once again alter its schedule. For the communities and teams that play in them, the hope is that hockey can provide a small escape from all of this. And the league plans on soldiering on with its season, no matter what it might end up being. We don't know when the roads will be fixed. We're going to try and get everybody 54 games, which is what we set out to do this season. If we can, it'll be uh, quite a feat. If some teams get fewer than others, then we're basing playoff position off of winning percentage and everybody will have the chance that, uh, that they, they could possibly get into the playoffs dependent on how their team performs. BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke is one of the CFL's performers of the week, mainly for the first half he put in last Friday against Edmonton where he threw a touchdown pass and also ran for three touchdowns. He was making just his second start of his career. He led BC to a win over the Elks to finish the season. Well, Alfonso Davies is used to this kind of weather, but in Kiev, Russia today, it wasn't as cold as it was when he played at Edmonton against Mexico. Uh, this is Champions League action, and that's Robert Lewandowski in the winter wonderland doing wonderful things for Bayern Munich as they beat Dyn well, Dynamo Kiev. Let's not say Dynamo. Dynamo Kiev 2-1. Lewandowski again. That definitely is a winter wonderland. Well, you know what? And anytime you see sports in the snow, you always have to watch it. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Football games, soccer game, hockey game, something. When they played outdoors in the snow, you got to stop and watch. It's true. All right, thanks, Squire. Throwing a dart across the solar system and how it might one day help save humanity. Next. 
sounds weird even saying it, but Elon Musk's SpaceX is set to launch a first-of-its-kind planetary defense mission for NASA. Blastoff is early tomorrow morning, and the goal is for the spacecraft to intentionally crash into an asteroid. Global's Kyle Benning explains why. Like this classic arcade game, it's something humans have considered for decades. How do you prevent a collision with an asteroid? Now, NASA thinks it has the answer. This is the first time SpaceX has taken a NASA spacecraft and intentionally launched it on a trajectory to escape Earth and crash into an asteroid. So again, pretty cool mission. Very excited to be a part of it. NASA and SpaceX are launching a rocket to test if it can adjust the orbit of a 160-meter asteroid. The Double Asteroid Redirect Test, or DART, will be on board SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket and will collide with the asteroid at more than 24,000 kilometers per hour. Our hope is to prove that by impacting a spacecraft onto the rock, we change its movement. We change its overall speed. The asteroid they're aiming for is named Dimorphos and orbits a much larger asteroid named Didymos. While neither are heading for Earth, NASA hopes the impact will adjust its target's orbit. If you try to kind of push a car, uh, it takes with the same force. It's a lot easier to see any motion than if you push a larger car or a truck, right? So we're trying to go after the one object where measurement of a change is the easiest for us to detect from the ground. NASA started planning this launch in 2013 after a meteor exploded over Russia, which sent shockwaves to six cities. Astronomers say there are tens of thousands of asteroids near Earth, which could cause regional devastation. The technology that we're developing here, we think in the future, could save lives and protect property here on Earth. The rocket is expected to reach the asteroid in fall 2022. Kyle Benning, Global News. So if only to... dinosaurs had SpaceX, they might still be around. True. <laughs> we need Bruce Willis's phone number on speed dial just in case things go wrong. <laughs> See how it all ends. All right, in the short term, uh, we're dealing with some rain. That's right. So light rain initially in the afternoon. Tomorrow, the heaviest will happen overnight. Tomorrow, throughout our day on Thursday, that's our biggest concern timeline for this first storm. Just falling raindrops, not asteroids. That's good to know. Mm -hmm. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night. Good night, all.